If you have your Bibles, we are going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew, chapter 28. Look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. If you found your place there, let's do something different this morning. Let's all stand for the reading of the Word of God. Starting in verse 1, we read, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there's a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning and to be uh, rejoicing in your Son and the resurrection, Lord, of your Son from the grave, from the dead. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it has to, to have this place to be in your presence today. And we worship you and we lift you on high and we pray, Lord, your blessing now as we study your word, Lord, that you'd give us the application in our life, Lord, that we would find strength in you. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to have a relationship with you, to have their sin forgiven, to be born again, would you especially touch their heart this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, while we're still standing, let's do one thing that we've done every year on Easter, okay? It's kind of a tradition here. I will say, He is risen, and you guys say, He is risen indeed. Okay, we got it? Okay, here we go. He is risen. Okay, now I said this first service, or first service, sunrise service, which incidentally was actually warmer than it was right now, first service. But there's a lady across the street, and, and she said, you know, when you guys were out there, you know, I've never heard you guys, you know, and we've lived across the street for years. And I thought, well, we're going to change that. And so, <laughs> first service, we did, sunrise service, we did it pretty loud, so I'm giving you guys a chance to do it even louder than that. Okay, you ready? He is risen. One more time, just do it. <laughs> he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Now you guys can sit down. <laughs> Doctor, said the woman, all day long my daughter eats yeast and car wax and won't get out of bed. What will happen to her? Don't worry, said the doctor. Eventually she will rise and shine. Listen, Jesus said he would rise and shine. Jesus also said, because I live, you shall live also. That's why we are here today. It's time to celebrate the greatest day on earth. The day our Lord and Savior conquered death, conquered the grave. It's time to celebrate the day our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
the resurrection. It's time to believe. That's the title of what I want to talk about this morning. It's time to believe. If you're taking notes, I want to look at three points. Number one, it's time for faith, not fear. Number two, it's time for joy, not sorrow. And number three, it's time for a decision, not indecision. Look now at verse one. We read, now after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now, thank God for these women. I mean, because the men, they were being wimps, okay? They were in the upper room or in a room. They were fearful. You know, they thought they may be arrested as well. They're hiding out in fear. But these women had the courage to go down to the grave this first Easter morning. And maybe, you know, some of you guys, your wife's druggy here this morning. You know, hey, come on, we got to go. All right, we're going to go. These ladies, they went down. They wanted to go to the tomb. Now, Mary Magdalene, this Mary, Jesus delivered her from seven demons that possessed her. The other Mary is difficult to identify. Tradition has it that she was the mother of James and John, uh, the sons of thunder, as Jesus called them. We know that these, from the other Gospels, we know that these women were going to the grave to finish off the preparation for his burial, that they were bringing the, the sweet spices to anoint the body of Jesus. See, Jesus died on Friday afternoon at Suntown. It was Sabbath, and no work could be done on the Sabbath. So they, they hurried up, they buried him, you know, they, they, they hurried the preparation of his body, buried Jesus, but they had to finish the task. So they get up early that morning, sunrise, to the end of the Sabbath, and they're going to the tomb. And as they're walking, another gospel tells us they, they were wondering what they're going to do when they get to the tomb. Because they knew that there was a stone rolled in front of it. Now, how are we going to roll that stone away? Well, when they got to, this, to the tomb, they realized that God had already taken care of it. Look at verse 2. And behold, there's a great earthquake. For an angel of the, Lord, of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now, they estimate the stone to stand at least four feet high. With the estimated thickness, it would have weighed at least two tons. And we read here that an angel came and rolled back the stone from the door. That Greek would indicate that the stone was actually picked up and thrown over to the side. Now, I picture this angel. I like to call him Angel Schwarzenegger, you know. <laughs> this little pebble, I will move it to one side, you know. <laughs> Throw it away from the door, you know. And they, they get it to one side. And then we read that it says, then he sat on it. I don't know if you catch that. It says he sat on it. I love that. Lord sends the angel for a task. The angel moves the stone. Then he just sits on top of it and just waiting. Waiting for the ladies that were wondering how to move the stone away. Wondering, you know, what's going on. And, and, and they're there. Now understand the angel rolled the stone away. Not so Jesus could come out, but that, that the woman can get in. Why, why do you say that? So the woman can see that Jesus Christ was really raised from the dead. Jesus had gone from a mortal body to an immortal body. Jesus had gone from a physical body to a spiritual, eternal body. 1 Corinthians 15, his corruption put on incorruption, his mortality put on uh, his immortality, and then the saying is brought to pass, pass death is swallowed up in victory. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest victory that there's ever been and ever will be. And so the woman, they get to the tomb. They see the stone has been rolled away. Then we read in verse 3 that the angel's countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Stop there. This brings us to point number one. It's time for faith, 
not fear. The angel says, do not be afraid. Now, anytime we read in Scripture, you, you have a human being encountering some glorious experience with God, you have a typical reaction like this. You know, the angel, or even the Lord, has to say, do not be afraid. I mean, it's a, it's a, a merely uh, human reaction to a supernatural interaction. Whether it's Moses, or Daniel, or Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, or Isaiah, whenever they encountered some special vision or experience, they would get very afraid. I think over in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John getting ready to receive from Jesus the book of Revelation. It says there in chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Why would John not need to fear? Because Jesus said, don't be afraid. John, I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm God. I'm in control. So you and I, we live in a day of uncertainty. We don't know what the future is going to hold, and some of us, I think we can get pretty worried and worked up about it. It's clear, as the headlines say, ISIS has declared war on Europe. I don't know if you saw that this past week. According to the Associated Press, the Islamic State group has trained at least 400 fighters to target Europe in deadly waves of attacks, deploying interlocking terror cells like the ones that struck Brussels and Paris with orders to choose the time, place, and method for maximum carnage. Today anymore, the question is not if, but when. When will the next attack take place? And people today... They're fearful. According to the Chapman University Survey of American Fears, they polled 1,500 people, asking them what they are most afraid of, and they had 88 answers. The top five most common fears today in America is this. Number five, government tracking of personal information. Number four, terrorist attack. Number three, corporate tracking of personal data. Number two, cyber terrorism. And number one, corruption of government officials. I found that interesting. Surprising to me, out of the list of 88 things, the fear of clowns made the list, but it was down at number 84. <laughs> Maybe they mixed up clowns with government officials. I, I don't know. It's easy to do. But today, people are fearful. Bottom line is they're afraid because they don't know what the future is going to hold, and that scares them. But God wants us to know something this morning. He would like you to know that he's in control and you have every reason to be confident as you look to the future. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Tom, I mean, are you serious? I mean, have you been spending too much time at your desk? Have you not looked at the news? Have you not you know, watched the reports? I mean, do you see the choices that we have running for president? Really? Yeah, I've seen the news. I've read the news, but I've, got, I've also read the good news. And I know how the story ends. Everything's going to be okay. Why? Because the Lord tells us do not fear. Do not be afraid. I think of Isaiah the prophet over in Isaiah chapter 6. He had a, a vision of God. And there in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. King Uzziah, he was a very godly king, a, a righteous, strong, powerful king. And Isaiah gets the vision in the year that King Uzziah died. Now Isaiah and everybody else is probably in Israel kind of wondering what's going on, what's going to happen. Kind of freaking out a little bit. What's going to happen in our nation? What's going to happen? Are things going to change radically? I mean, King Uzziah is dead. Who's going to take over the throne? But just in the nick of time, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. 
Again, in other words, God is in control. I like that. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. He wasn't standing. No, he's not walking back and forth, kind of rubbing his hands and going, oh, I don't, I don't, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know about this. And worrying about the condition of the world or, or who the next president's going to be. He's got it in control. He's taking this sitting down. This is according to his plan. I think of the song by Casting Crowns called Beheld, and one of the lines in it that says, it's not that the world is falling apart, it's just falling into place. I like that. Or the saying that goes, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds my tomorrow. I think when the disciples, they were out at sea, and the storm arose, and they thought for sure, man, they were going to be sunk, and they were going to die, and they were afraid. And the Bible tells us that they saw Jesus walking on the water. Now, that didn't really help them that much. It really freaked them out. They thought it was a ghost at first. But then Jesus addressed them by saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Literally in the Greek, Be of good cheer. I am that I am. Don't be afraid. See, fear and faith cannot dwell in the same heart. They're mutually exclusive. If you're faithful, it's going to push fear out. If you're fearful, then it's going to uh, push your faith out. And today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have good reason to be confident in the, ability to, that, in the ability that he has to take the future through the future, no matter how dark it may seem to be. I like the story about a man who was taking a walk one night. It was a dark road, unfamiliar territory for the man. And he had heard that on either side of the road was a sheer drop off. So he tried to maintain the center of the road. But it was dark. And he couldn't see that well, and he kind of got too close, and he slipped and he fell, and he's screaming down this ravine, flailing his arms. He finally grabs onto a bush, and he's holding on for dear life, and he's crying out for help. Well, nobody hears him. So he keeps crying out over and over again, still nobody hears him. And he's holding on, and he's holding on for what seemed like hours to him. Finally thought, this is it. I've got to let go. It's all over. And in desperation, he he let go, thinking he's going to die. And he fell all the way down, six inches. See, all that needless worry for nothing, for nothing. It was all right there. Isn't it amazing how we worry about things when God has already gone out ahead of us and taken care of us? An average person worries focused on five things, 40% things that will never happen, 30% things about the past that can't be changed, 12% things about criticism by others mostly untrue, 10% about health, which gets worse with stress, 8% about real problems that will be faced. 8%. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ truly means that we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. Whatever the circumstance of our lives, God can take care of them. God is in control. Now, let me say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to be honest with you. From a biblical perspective, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be afraid. You need to be very afraid. Because the Bible talks about in Luke 21, 26, how men's hearts failing from the, them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Luke 21, 26. See, there's coming a time when God will judge this world. Make no mistake about it. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've not received the forgiveness of your sin, you will certainly face that judgment. The Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die and after that judgment. But here, again, is the bottom line. If you're living in fear, I want you to know you can be cured of that. And the cure is faith. Latch onto, grab hold of Jesus who is alive. Put your faith in Him. 
So today is Resurrection Day, and it's time for faith, not for fear. Number two, it's time for joy, not for sorrow. Again, look at verse 5. The angel of the Lord says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. That's why it's a time for joy and not sorrow. Now, the sorrow did come first. The angel says, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Jesus was crucified. That brought sorrow. Why? Because the crucifixion brought death. Jesus was on that cross. He was whipped. He was bruised. Uh, the scriptures teach that, that, that even beyond recognition, that you can even tell he was a man. He took all of that pain, all of that suffering, and then he breathed his last. He said, it is finished. He died upon that cross. And we have to believe the fact of the death of Jesus Christ before we can have the joy of the resurrection. In other words, we have to make sure that there was a death before there can be a resurrection. I shared this story before, but I think it's so appropriate this time of year. A story about a couple of brothers who were out playing in the backyard on a nice Sunday morning after church, when all of a sudden they heard this frantic thrashing of bushes that caught both boys' attention. Well, out jumped their dog, Max, who was ferociously shaking a black-and-white lop-eared rabbit. I told you it was fitting for Easter. Now, Max, the dog, couldn't have cared less that the rabbit belonged to Mrs. Clausen, the widow next door. The boys, not knowing what to do, decided that Dad would know how to handle the situation. Father knows best. So they, they took the rabbit to Dad. Well, he studied it for a moment and then told the boys not to worry. He said, just, just uh, hose the little fellow off real well so he looks nice and clean. Brush him down with his towel and stick him back in the cage. Mrs. Clausen is still at church so that when she comes home and discovers her rabbit, she'll be a little upset, but she'll just figure that it died of natural causes. And so the, uh, that's, oh yeah, and make sure you tie up the dog. Well, the boys did exactly as they were told and, and then hid in the bushes to get a good view to see the widow Mrs. Clausen's uh, reaction when she noticed a rabbit. Well, sure enough, just as, as Dad had promised, they saw her come out the back door, start heading for the rabbit cages, and all of a sudden, they heard the worst scream they've ever heard in their entire life. Mrs. Clausen went on and on, hollering and shrieking and crying and yelling and asking God all kinds of questions. The boy's mom and dad came running out of the house and into her backyard, pleading with her to stop and tell them what had gone wrong. When they finally calmed her down a little, they asked her again to explain what had happened. In between sniffs and, and sobs, she finally got it out. I buried my rabbit three days ago. Get it, the dead rabbit in the cage. and Very long illustration for, a, for that kind of reaction. Okay, really? <laughs> the point being is you have to have a death before you can have a resurrection. A resurrection presupposes death. We have to face the fact that Jesus died physically. Even though he was God, he was in a physical body and he died. He tried to prepare his followers he told them ahead of time. He warned them, John sixteen twenty. I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. But that's not what any of them expected, especially Mary, Magdalene and this other Mary on their way to the tomb. They expected to see Jesus dead. Why? Because they were, they were there the day they saw Jesus die. They were there by the cross. Now, when you see someone die, you expect them to stay dead. Now, there are those who say, well, Jesus really didn't die. 
you know, they had this theory that he swooned. You know, he kind of just kind of passed out on the cross and because and he lost all that blood and the exposure to the elements and he'd been awake for a whole day and been hanging on the cross. He, he passed out. They took him in that, that, that cold grave and, and, and kind of revived him. Really? Okay. I mean, you have to remember that was not, he was not only crucified, it, they, they thrust a sword in, into his side, piercing his heart. And then when Nicodemus took him down from the cross, they put over a hundred pounds of, of ointment and, and grave cloths on him. They laid him in that grave, two-ton stone put in front of the grave, sealed it with wax, and then Pilate orders all these guards to go around it so that no one would come and steal the body. So my question is, if, if Jesus really swooned, how did he get out of the tomb, wrapped with, from head to toe with grave clothes in this weakened state? How did he roll a two-ton stone away? How did he overtake the Roman soldiers with spears and swords and armed to the teeth? And then, uh, here's the big thing. Uh, how by any means did he then show up in the homes of the disciples and convince them that he had risen from the dead? It's just illogical. And then he had to convince them to the point that they would die for that lie, for something that, that they, they don't believe. See, the bottom line is Jesus actually died. The angel says, Jesus, who was crucified, he died. That's the sorrow. But today is a day of joy because of verse 6. It says, he is not here for he is risen. And that's joy. Because I tell you why. If Jesus rose from the dead, it means everything else that he promised is true. Everything else he promised is true. Follow me on this. Remember, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection over and over again to his disciples. They're going to take me. I get to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. One right over their head. I mean, they, all they caught was, I'm going to die. That's all they heard. Now, here's the, here's the point. If Jesus could predict that, which he did, and it happened just as he said, then you can go through every promise in God's word, and you can trust it. If he could predict his death and resurrection and it happened, and every other promise he made must also be true. That's why it's time for joy, not sorrow. Because if he can conquer death, and he promises that if we believe in him, we will conquer death as well. Plain and simple. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I believe it. I believe it. I believe the promise, and I believe it because Jesus rose from the dead. So this morning, it's a time for joy, not sorrow. You have every reason to be uh, living confidently, not in fear. Billy Sunday once said, if you have no joy in your life and you're a Christian, there must be a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Do you believe God's word? Do you believe the promises found in God's word that he's written for you? Then if you do, then live like it. Is there joy? I mean, to know that Jesus Christ rose again from the grave to forgive you all of your sins should bring you to a real, genuine, deep kind of joy. That brings us to our third point. Number one, it's time for faith, not fear. Number two, it's time for joy, not sorrow. Number three, this is time for a decision, no more indecision. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, He's not here, for he's risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you in the Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. It's the story of the great violinist Fritz Kreisler, who was leaving from Hamburg, Germany one day to give a concert in London. Fritz had about an hour before his boat sailed, so he wandered into a music shop where the owner asked if he could look at uh, the violin Kreisler was carrying. Well, the owner then vanished and returned with two policemen, of whom 
told the violinist, you are under arrest. What for? Chrysler asked. Well, you have Fritz Chrysler's violin. He says, but I am Fritz Chrysler. Well, you can't pull that on us. Come along to the station. Well, as Chrysler's boat was about to sail soon, there was no time to pro- for prolonged explanations. Chrysler asked to take his violin and play a piece for him, and he was well known for it, so he did. He took it out and he played, and, and they said, now are you guys satisfied, he asked. They were. They were. See, he needed to give proof of who he was. Again, look at what the angel says to the woman in verse 6. Come see the place where the Lord lay. In other words, look. Here's proof. Here's proof. He's no longer there. You go to a mausoleum in Moscow's Red Square. There lies the embalmed remains of Lenin. On the casket are these words. He was the greatest leader of all people of all time. He was the Lord of the new humanity. He was the Savior of the world. Guess what? He's still there. He's still there. Go to the grave of Muhammad. He's still there. Go to the grave of Buddha. He's still here. Go to the grave of Confucius. He's still there. Go to the grave of Jesus Christ. He's not there. He is risen. See, the invitation is clear. Come and see for yourself that the Lord is risen. In other words, it's time for a decision. No more indecision. It's time to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose again the third day, and now sits at the right hand of God, the Father, wanting to bring forgiveness and peace in your life. But you've got to come to Him to receive it. Now follow me on this. We go back to the beginning this morning. See, if God is in control, if the promises Jesus made are true based upon the one that He made about the resurrection, that that happened, if all that is true, doesn't it make sense that the best choice you could make would be to follow Him to trust in Him, to surrender your life to Him. Let's go back to Revelation 1.18. Jesus put it this way. He says, I am He who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And He says, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. What does that mean? Well, Hades and death are synonymous terms for the experience of every human being. Hades is, is the place. Hades just means the grave. And death is the condition. Hades is the New Testament term for the Old Testament term, Sheol. They both mean the same thing. It simply means uh, the grave. I hold the keys of death and the grave. See, everybody's going to die and everybody's going to be buried in the ground. But he also says, Jesus says, I have the keys. It means that he has the authority. See, if you have the keys, you have access. Now, I have a set of keys. I, I got the keys to the church. I, I got the keys to my car. In fact, I can even, you know, make my, my keys, maybe my alarm go off if I wanted to. And I, I have that. I have the keys, you know. You, you, if, you know, if you have keys to your car, that means you can drive. Well, theoretically, theoretically it means you can drive. I, you know, I don't know, you know, how good a driver you are, but some people have keys and you kind of wonder. Uh, if you have keys to a house, you have entry. You have access to that home. If the mayor gives you what, the keys to the city, you have that special privilege and special access, special authority. Jesus here is the man with the keys to your future. Look at it this way. He's the designated driver to get you to eternity. I mean, he's the man with the keys. He controls life and death. He controls who will live forever in heaven and those who will live apart from him in hell. The smartest thing I can tell you this morning is to get to know the man with the keys. While you're here on this earth, make a decision. Find the man with the keys to death and the grave and get to know him. See, sadly, there's a myth in America. I just kind of want to talk about that briefly and dispel it because I see it a lot at funerals. The myth uh, uh, that many Americans have is this, that all you have to do to get to heaven 
It's just die. Just die. That's all you got to do. And people will bring up even the slightest interaction that a person had with God to prove that they're in heaven. Well, I know he's in heaven because one day I sneezed and he said, God bless you. So he's got to be there in heaven. You know, and, and people think this way. They, they think this way. Let me open up my iPad that just crashed. There we go. And, and they think that way. Because they think they could live, you know, without God their whole life. They think they can never go to church. They don't have to pray. They don't have to read their Bible. Uh, and they can still go to heaven. Why? Because heaven is not really a, a reality to them until someone dies. And it's interesting to me that at a funeral, they, they want to talk about heaven. They'll, see, they'll say things like, well, I know he's in heaven right now. Why? Why would he be there? How do you know that? If he didn't want to have anything to do with God his whole life, why would God make him spend eternity with him? It's not automatic. Going to heaven is deliberate. It's intentional. It's a choice. So I, I say, get to know the man with the keys, Jesus. He said, I have the keys of Hades and of death. Let him drive your life into eternity. To borrow the words from Pastor Greg Glory, people say all roads lead to God, and they're right. All roads do lead to God, but only one road leads to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, today is your day of decision. It's your day of choice. Don't be indecisive. Actually, you can't be, because Jesus put it this way. He said in Luke eleven twenty three, He was not with me is against me, and he does not gather with me scatters. In other words, an indecision is a decision against Jesus Christ. Jesus put it this way in Matthew ten thirty two. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. See, every single one of us this morning is in this place is probably going to face the grave. Unless the Lord comes back, the rapture, I mean, we're, we're hoping for that. We're looking for it. If not, we're all going to face death and the grave. Our days are numbered. But if you've made a decision for Christ, then the resurrection means to you and me today that we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear. Why? Because Jesus took the sting of death away. I like 1 Corinthians 15, 55. We're told, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we're going to face death one way or the other. But the sting isn't there. The punch isn't there any longer. You don't need to face it with fear. Let me illustrate that for you. There was a man driving down a country road with his son, and a bee flew in this open window of the car. It was a summer day. The boy was terrified of the bee because he was highly allergic to bee stings. So the father reached out and grabbed the bee and squeezed it with his hand, waiting a moment, then he released it. Well, the bee kept buzzing around the car, and the boy got even more terrified. The father saw the scared look on the son's face and said, Son... You don't have to worry. And then he showed him his hand. Do you see this? And he opened his hand. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. And the sting was there in his hands. When Jesus put his hands out on the cross, in effect, he was saying, do you see this? You don't have to be afraid. I've taken the sting of death away. You see, Jesus could promise, if you believe in me, even though you die yet, you shall live. See, this is a day of faith, not fear. This is a day of joy, not sorrow. 
This is a day of decision, not indecision. It's the resurrection. It's time to believe. They may say, well, Tom, I don't know. I mean, you mean if I accept Christ, if I surrender my life to him, does that mean that I'll be able to pay all of my bills? I'll never have another flat tire. The sun will always shine and life will be forever easy. Man, I wish it were so. I wish it were so, you know. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that Jesus said, I mean, the rain and the sun falls on the just and the unjust. What I am saying is this. If you look around, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look to Jesus, you'll be at rest. He gives you that peace. He takes the sting away. And he made promises that are true. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, if you give him your life, he'll change it and you'll be forgiven and he'll make sure that. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you meaning because he has the power to do so. On top of all that, he'll give you assurance of eternity in heaven, everlasting life. I want to close with this story. It's about the day Jesus rose from the dead. It goes like this. They put Jesus in the tomb and he'd been dead for three days and the devil isn't very happy about it. And he says this, this man, Jesus, pulled so many stunts while he was alive, I just don't know what he's going to do. So he sends a demon down to check on the grave, and the demon goes down, and he reports back and says, Yes, I went to the tomb. He's still there, and he's as dead as a slab he's laying on. Well, Satan says, Ah, uh, you know, I'm just still a little uncomfortable about this. We've only got about 60 seconds till left till he said that he would rise, and if he does, man, we're all beat. We're defeated. We lose. If we can keep him in there, we win and we can fill hell with the human race. But if he gets out, we're sunk. Well, the demon says, well, your majesty, we've got a stone over the grave. We've got wax over the stone. We've got a seal over the wax. We have soldiers outside. Why don't you now just roll all the sin of the world against that stone? Good idea. Good idea, Satan said. So they did. Then Satan said, well, you know, I still feel like he might do something. Well, another demon says, well, your majesty, why don't, why don't we round up every demon we can muster up in hell and earth so we'll have the stone and the wax and the seal and the soldiers and the sin of the world and we'll get every demon to put his shoulder against the stone and for sure he won't get out. Excellent, said Lucifer. Round up every demon you can find and every demon was rounded up. So you've got the stone and the wax and the seal and the soldiers and the sin of the world and now every demon is there. Satan says, now, I think I've got it now. Everyone hold tight. I think we've got about 20 seconds left. And he starts the countdown. The first and the greatest countdown ever. Satan says, okay, everybody, hold it here. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. And just as he's about to say one, he says, oh, no. Oh, no, man. Oh, no, the stone is rolling away. And the Holy Spirit says, one, one. How do we know? Romans 8.11 But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I love that. See, in the same way, the same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead can raise you from death and sin and the wages of sin and the effect of sin. And you could leave here this morning free, forgiven, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to know that it's not an accident that you're here this morning. You're here because God wants you to be here and wants you to hear His Word and His love for you this morning. And I pray that you would not leave here without making that commitment to Him. 
Maybe, you know, maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church. And maybe you haven't been walking with the Lord. And maybe you've kind of fallen away a little bit. And you're recognizing that you haven't had joy in your life. You haven't had peace in your life. All you've had is struggles and heartaches. But you realize this morning it's time to come back to Him. Time to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. I want to give you that opportunity to do so this morning before we close. It's time to believe. Time to believe again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it, Lord Jesus, that you did not stay in that grave, but that you rose from the dead. And we recognize, God, that the promise of the resurrection also brings with it the promise that every sin that we've ever committed can be forgiven and washed away. We just need to come to you, confess that we're sinners, and desire, Lord, to know you and your promise in your word. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone here right now who's never given their life to you and they want to make a first-time commitment to you, Lord, that they would have that faith to step out and say, Today, I want to believe. I put my faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray for those that maybe have been falling away and not been walking with you. And this morning, after they've been in your word and your spirit's touched their heart, they want to say, I want to recommit my life to you this morning. I pray for them, given that faith, to take that step. While our eyes are closed and our heads are still bowed, is there anyone here this morning? You want to give your life to Jesus Christ or you want to recommit your life to Him this morning? This is just between you and the Lord. The Lord loves you. He's a prodigal father, a prodigal son coming back to the Father with open arms. He's there with open arms for you. If you're here this morning, you want to give your life to Him or rededicate your life to Him, would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord making that, that affirmation that you want to recommit your life to Him or commit your life to Him. Just raise it so I can see it. God bless you. Anybody else? We have time. Easter Sunday celebration. We're celebrating the resurrection from the grave. Jesus is alive. And he wants to cleanse you of your sin, forgive you. Anybody else you want to uh, commit your life or recommit your life to him, just raise your hand so I could pray for you. God bless you. Anybody else? While our heads are still bowed, I'm going to ask those that have raised your hand, or even if you didn't raise your hand, well, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. This is just a prayer of committing your life to Him, finding that forgiveness of sin. Just repeat it after me. And we as a church can sing it, pray it out loud as well, remind us of, of it all. Just pray after me. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. I want to follow you from this day forward. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for accepting me and forgiving me. Thank you for dying for me and rising again from the dead. 
I put my faith and trust in you. From this day forward, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.